Hello out there, and thank you for joining me. My name is Dan Roberts, and today we are going to be talking about the actual research-based, evidence-based cure for depression and anxiety. There is such a thing. These disorders can be and are cured every day. We just don't talk about it very much for reasons that we'll get into. So today we are going to be giving the cure for depression and anxiety. One more think. So one of my favorite stories out of the Bible is actually a story from the Old Testament. It's a story about Moses and the children of Israel as they traveled across the desert. At one point, they were set upon by a horde of poisonous snakes that were that snuck into their tents and into their camp and were many of them were bit by these serpents and as they lay dying in agony Moses according to the story climbed to the top of a hillside overlooking the camp and held aloft a staff that had a bronze serpent wrapped around it if i remember right and he let the word go about that Anyone who looked at that staff would be cured from their snake bite and wouldn't die. And even though the cure was simple and apparently effective, according to the record, so many people refused to believe that it could work because it made no sense to them. It seemed too easy. It seemed trivial. So they didn't do that. They didn't look to the staff. And as a result, they died because the fix seemed too easy. The fix for depression is similar. It seems too easy. It seems like it can't actually be sufficient to treat this disease that for many people is paralyzing and crippling. And for that reason, a lot of people never even try. They look right over this cure, this solution to their disorder, telling themselves that it can't work. But that's the main problem with depression. Depression is insidious because it specifically leads people to believe that nothing will help, nothing will work, nothing is going to help anything. So these people are less likely to actually try this evidence-based cure and they're more likely to give up even when they do try it. They're likely, they're much more likely to give up before really letting the cure run its course. Even when people who struggle with depression are presented with the actual body of evidence from other people who have been cured of their depression, patients tend to disregard that evidence and say, well, Maybe that works for somebody else, but surely it could never work for me. I've tried everything. Nothing works. But the good thing about this cure is that there is real evidence for it. It is simple. It is inexpensive. In fact, it doesn't cost anything at all. It doesn't require a prescription, no extended course of therapy, no massive lifestyle change. In fact, you could do this cure on a daily basis before you even get out of bed. 
The cure for depression, as overly simplistic as it may seem, is gratitude. Now, not gratitude as a general personality characteristic, but gratitude as an actual targeted behavior. So the research that's been done, and I've included some links and uh, research uh, sites that you can go to to find this evidence for yourself. The research that has been done is specifically looking at ritualized gratitude, intentional, specific daily behaviors to express and think about gratitude not in a passive way, but in, a, in an intentional, targeted way. So one of the main things that people, are, that people do who use these interventions is they will have their patients start doing or writing daily gratitude journals. And a gratitude journal is exactly what it sounds like. It is a journal in which the patient would, on a daily basis, spend 15 minutes solid writing exclusively about the things they are grateful for the things they are happy about, the things they feel blessed to have in their lives. This daily practice of spending concerted time focusing on your blessings, the great things that have happened to you, the things that you have to be grateful about, really is the whole story. Some of the research that has been done has only this as an intervention and this intervention shows better results than almost every other thing that is being done for people with depression. There are other mechanisms that we use. In my work with trauma patients, at the end of one of our research-based protocols, the focus switches from internal and the person processing their own trauma to focusing on gratitude to others to taking a time out every day to thank somebody for the things that they have done for them, to recognize or compliment somebody else on something that they did well. So it's not just used for people with depression. It's used for people who have PTSD. Counting your blessings is an age-old folks remedy, I guess, for depression that has been known since the Roman times to be a powerful tonic against malaise or against ennui and has been used across almost every culture as a uh, is used across almost every culture as a folk's cure or folk's treatment against dissatisfaction and unhappiness but now as modern medicine advances we're seeing that there is real evidence to support this practice that it really works even in truly entrenched cases of clinical depression. There's a hymn in my church that we actually sang today, uh, which was ironic because I'd already planned this episode before we went to church today. But in this hymn, the first line goes, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. This hymn was written by Johnson Oatman, who lived from 1856 to 1922. So sometime before 1922, this was written down, and the ideas are very simple but very powerful. Even when life is the toughest, 
and you feel discouraged, if you take the time in that place to actually count your blessings, not passively kind of sort of think about them, but really sit down and in a focused, intentional way, count them out, list them. You will be surprised at how many good things you have in your life. And that is the magic. That is the treatment. It is the concerted, intentional effort focusing on gratitude that breaks through those crusty, nasty barriers of depression and forces the mind to recognize that there is another part of a narrative that is true that it has simply not been attending to while it has been so focused on the suffering of depression. So it's not tough. I had a client who I did this intervention with maybe about a year ago who was struggling with a difficult depression. He had been depressed for the better part of 20 years, according to his own report, and nothing worked. He had taken dozens of different um, medications for his depression across time. He'd been hospitalized twice for suicide attempts. His depression was what we called treatment resistant. In other words, nothing seemed to work for him on a literal basis. And he wasn't seeing me for depression specifically. He was seeing me for trauma work. But I asked him if he had ever intentionally sat down and thought about the good things in his life for a long period of time. And he kind of shook his head almost angrily and said, there are no good things in my life. So we spent the next 15 minutes in the session listing the most insignificant, smallest good thing he could think of. And at first, he refused. I asked him, let's, let's talk about the, the least significant good thing that happened to you today. Try to get as small as you possibly can. And he was angry. He refused. He said, nothing good has happened to me today. Nothing good at all. And I just stared at him in that way that therapists have of staring at people until they stop feeding you crap. And it worked. He looked at me, realized I was serious, pondered for a little while. I could see his resistance melting. And finally, he sighed and rolled his eyes and said, I didn't get hit by a bus. I said, okay, that's a great place to start. Let's take it up one step, the smallest possible step above not getting hit by a bus. What happened to you today that was better than not getting hit by a bus? And then he was hesitant again, kind of drug his feet. He said that I didn't get hit by a bus and the elevator to take me up to this office worked. I said, okay, great. Now what's one thing, be- what's, what, what thing is one step better than the elevator working? And then he said, I'm wearing my favorite shoes. Okay, great. Wearing your favorite shoes. What's one step better than wearing your favorite shoes? Then he said, I'm having a conversation with my therapist. I said, okay, awesome. Did anything happen better than talking with your therapist? And we went on like that for a while. And he included things like his breakfast was good. He included things like the weather was nice. By the time we had talked about that for 15 minutes, this man who had absolutely insisted that nothing good happened in his life was able to create a list of about 30 things. 
that happened just that day that were actually good. None of them were phenomenally good. None of them were he won the lottery or he was cured of cancer or something really tremendous. But nonetheless, his previous insistence that nothing good had happened in that day at all proved to be what it always proves to be, a very thin veneer of depressive thought processes covering over and obscuring the actual truth of his life, which is a whole bunch of good things happened in the middle of all the bad things that were happening. And remarkable to this young man is at the beginning of that session, I had given him um, a Beck depression inventory. It's a screener for for depressive symptoms and severity, and his score was pretty high. And after we did that 15 minutes of talking about the things that he had in his life that were good, I did another one real quick. And he was shocked at how much his points on the, on the BDI had come down and wouldn't even believe it. And I showed it to him. He sat back in his chair, and I'll never forget this. He sat back in his chair and he said, I'll be damned, Doc. All this time, I figured the hippy-dippy stuff you've been throwing at me was just bullshit. He had never assumed that there was any positivity in his life to be found, but that's because he wasn't looking for it. He spent so much time in his every day focusing on and insisting on negativity that it's all he could see. Like a man who looks only in one direction to the north through a telescope that man will never see the sunrise because the sun does not rise in the north. You could easily think, if you were that man, that there is no sun rising. But that's because you refuse to turn and look through a different perspective in a different direction. Gratitude work, intentional, focused, specific gratitude work is nothing less than forcing yourself to look at the happiness in your life, even if there is misery. Simply turning your telescope to the west so that you can watch a sunset at the end of the day or to the east so that you can watch a sunrise does not remove the truth of north or south, but it allows you to see the beauty that that moment has to offer from a certain specific perspective. Because staring at the north only lets you see the north. I mean, this is fairly obvious stuff, but it's massively powerful stuff. If you take the time, 15 minutes a day, to sit down and intentionally write out the things you are grateful for, it will change your life, especially if you suffer from anxiety and depression. Think about what you're doing in those 15 minutes. In those 15 minutes, rather than fussing about all of the things that need to still be done, that you're unhappy with, that you're unsatisfied with, you instead take time to recognize all of the good things that are going on, all of the great stuff that has happened, all of the blessings that you've been given. You can't simultaneously be grateful and worried. You can't simultaneously feel blessed and feel neglected, hurt, lost, pained. Your brain is not that big. Your brain is not that strong. You can't do both of those things at the same time. And lest somebody say this is a Pollyanna kind of 
um, overly optimistic way of approaching your life, I'm only asking for 15 minutes. The research only asks for 15 minutes a day in order to make significant, lasting, whole person gains. You can go right back to being anxious and depressed as soon as you're done with the 15 minutes of gratitude, if you want to. The point is not that we try to ignore the problems or pretend that there is nothing to worry about. Just the opposite. The point is to recognize that there is more to think about than just the depressive stuff or the stuff to worry about. To look to the left or right and recognize that that is where the beauty is, where the sunrise and the sunset is. The rest of the time, you can look due north at your problems. But if you want to see the beauty of a sunset or the gorgeous elegance of a sunrise, you have to look to those directions. And that's what gratitude does. Almost magically, without much effort, without much energy spent, it's not a cognitive wrestle with self. It's not a deep delve into the traumas of your childhood or the things your parents did or did not do for you. It's a simple activity, a simple exercise in real time that can bear serious fruit very quickly. So there's a couple cautionary tales I put out there, a couple bits of advice, things to avoid. There is a tendency among people who are depressed to do what I call the yeah buts. So anyone who's depressed is going to be familiar with this. If somebody tells you that you've got so many great things in your life, the depressed person's mind is going to almost immediately yeah but. So if you just got a raise at your job and you are trying to, un you know, unintentionally, subconsciously, but nonetheless creating an effort or going through the effort in your mind to be depressed, if you get a raise at your job, there's going to be some kind of a yeah but that your mind comes up with that makes the raise, uh, that makes the raise less desirable or kind of taints it. So you might say, yeah, I got a raise at my job, but I still don't have the job that I want. Or, yeah, I got a raise at my job, but now my husband is going to be jealous because I make more money than him. Or, yeah, I got a raise at my job, but it still doesn't make me happy because my job is stupid. Right? You can do it with anything. The good news is that process or that phenomenon goes both ways. So if you tend to be a yeah butter, what I would recommend you do is start with the negative stuff first. So start with the bad side. So it would go like, yeah, I got a, I got a raise at my job and my husband's going to be really jealous, but it's a lot of money and we really needed it and now I can do a whole bunch of cool, cool new stuff. Or I got a raise at my job and yeah, it's not the job that I really wanted, but this raise is going to help me save some money so that I can go to back to school and eventually learn the trade that I want, right? See how that works? You're doing the same exact thing, but you're ending on the up argument that makes you feel hopeful or encouraged as opposed to ending on the down argument. In most cases, it's that closing argument, the final statement, the thing we end with that leaves us with the longest, most lasting emotional taste in our mouth. Even if that's not the strongest, most logical, rational argument, the closing argument tends to, tends to be the most memorable. So if you know that about yourself, that even the greatest of positive thoughts is going to be followed 
by this negative tag, this negative yeah but, try starting with the negative and yeah butting a good and positive tag and see where that leaves you. Okay, so a word or two about the science. There have been a ton of studies um, about this phenomenon. I'm going to include links to those studies in the description. There's also a wonderful video from uh, the YouTube channel Kurzgesagt, which is one of my favorite YouTube channels. I'm not affiliated with them in any way, and they're certainly not sponsoring this podcast, but they have a video that is wonderfully well done, that compiles the science. A lot of the references I'm going to share are actually shared from their shared references. They compile the science that has been done over the last two or three decades about this phenomenon, and they describe the way this phenomenon works just in real, really elegant terms with great illustrations. I've used that video in a therapeutic context dozens of times to explain this concept in a more forceful, in a more impactful way than I think I am capable of with mere words. The one caveat to all of this research is the same caveat to all outcomes research. This intervention only works if you actually do it. As I've already mentioned, increasing your attitude of gratitude is not sufficient to change anything. This must be a behavioral change. You have to do something different or new. You must add this behavior in on a routine basis, focused, intentional action, which is hard. The research shows, though, that keeping a 15-minute daily gratitude journal is amazing if you actually do it. It's as powerful, if not more powerful, than any other single intervention, including medication, including transcranial magnetic stimulation, including all sorts of stuff. It's more powerful than physical activity. So those out there who are saying that you just need to do yoga every day to improve your mood, yoga certainly helps, but not as much as gratitude. Taking an antidepressant on a daily basis certainly helps, but it has side effects that a lot of people really do not like. Gratitude, or these, this targeted intentional gratitude activity, has a stronger antidepressant effect than do antidepressants. And there are no negative side effects. There's evidence that shows these kinds of activities literally change the brain. The body of evidence uh, from positron emission tomography, your PET scans, which show the brain's activity in a live, real-time environment, show that people who practice gratitude as an intervention for a prolonged period of time literally change the physiology of their minds. So when we talk about chemical imbalances or problems in the brain, genetic disorders within the mind, even those things are susceptible to change through gratitude as an intervention. This is massively powerful stuff. And why isn't everyone doing it? Why isn't it the only treatment out there for depression? Well, the problem is it's hard to get people to actually do this. And there's not a lot of money in it. I'll just speak candidly as a therapist. If I was 
doing therapy with someone and I told them that the most effective thing that they could do for their depression would be to go home and to start writing in a gratitude journal. And if they kept that up for 90 days, they wouldn't need to ever see me again. Well, I'm kind of working myself out of a job then at that point, aren't I? And, you know, to be completely candid, as a therapist, I do this as an intervention and I read the gratitude journals when they come in for the next session. We talk through them. We elevate them. We, we, we dig into their, into their gratitude statements and try to see if there's more there. So, yeah, there is something to be said for gratitude therapy inside the therapeutic relationship. But there is no advertisement behind this because there is no industry that supports it. There's no big pharmacy to push advertisements during the Super Bowl for their gratitude journals as they certainly will for their antidepressants. It's not sexy, it's not splashy, and it's not easy in that kind of low-hanging fruit attractive way. What is remarkable about it is how effective it is, how transferable the gains are, how portable it is. You can never run out of this prescription. You can never lose it when you go on vacation. You can never... It'll never be out of your hands. Once you've learned to use gratitude in an intentional way as an antidote to depressive thinking and depressive symptoms, it's with you for the rest of your life and massively powerful. So for anyone who still thinks that this is too good to be true, I want to put a challenge out there. I personally challenge you, if you have struggled with anxiety or depression, if you are willing to commit to writing a gratitude journal every day for three months, let's, let's call it 90 days for easy math, I will personally guarantee that your depressive symptoms will reduce significantly. And I'm so confident they will that anyone who's willing to commit to this, let's say within the next month of the publication of this podcast, shoot me an email to my uh, to my podcast email address and I will personally administer the depressive screeners and all I want you to do on your end is send me your daily gratitude journal just is an email write me an email every day that says what you're grateful for and if you can keep that up for 90 days I guarantee you that your depressive and anxiety symptoms will be significantly reduced. Prove me wrong. What have you got to lose except your depression or your anxiety? So that's my challenge. This simple, readily accessible, inexpensive intervention has literally changed the lives of tens of thousands of people and it continues to do so. This is all science-based. This isn't just one guy sitting with a microphone speaking his opinion. Reams of evidence back this up. At the end, as a therapist, these are the types of things that I get really fired up about. Of course, my philosophical bent tends towards cognitive behavioral therapy, and these kinds of behavioral, activ behavioral activation therapies are very much in connection with cognitive behavioral therapy or in line with cognitive behavioral therapy but this one, folks, this one is not an ideological excitement. This one is just 
based on science, and I have personally seen it work with dozens of my own patients. So much so that if I'm ever treating somebody with depression and I am not having them do a targeted intentional gratitude activity, I feel like I've done them a a disservice as a therapist. This is the stuff that works, and it does work. For everyone who does this, who actually puts pen to paper, does a gratitude journal, actually creates a list of their blessings, counts their blessings out, really does that work, they will all see their depression start to erode. But it doesn't happen overnight. This must be a consistent behavior that is done on a daily basis for a prolonged period of time to the the point that it becomes a habit. And if you can make gratitude your new habit, what else can that gratitude replace than the negativity or the anxiety of your mental illness? Those two things cannot exist simultaneously. Our brains are not big enough for that. The one will push out the other. Which one do you want to have? Do you want to have a mind that is perpetually filled with the problems, the worries, the self-doubt, the self-accusation of depression or anxiety? Or would you rather have a mind that is constantly filled with the gratefulness and the gratitude and the recognition of all the blessings and wonderfulness and love and happiness that you have in your life? Because at the end of the day, it turns out you do get to choose. I know it sounds simple. And for many people, it sounds too simple. Like that snake on a staff that Moses held up, it's too simple to try, so you don't even lift your eyes and see if it works. Please, do not fall for that same mental trap that the children of Israel fell for. Look up. Give this one a try. The worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work and you stay where you were in your depression or your anxiety. The best case scenario, this will save your life. And then you'll have all that much more to be grateful for moving forward. Well, okay. That's it for me today. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, I'm Dan Roberts. Let's take care of each other. Mm -hmm.